If you have your Bibles, can you turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4? That's Philippians 2, verse 1 to 4. We're going to have a look at that, and this is going to be the, the key passage that we'll be working with today. Uh, Philippians 2 doesn't deal with love in the context of romantic relationships, but I want to work with it because what it teaches us is applicable to all relationships, and also I really uh, wanted to work with this passage today because of what it teaches us about Christ's love. And that's why I was so excited about what Christy did in, in worship, that word she shared, because I really feel that at the end of the message today, uh, I just really feel that that's exactly where we're heading, that whole infusion of grace. So let's have a look at this scripture. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Ask those questions about yourself right now and your relationship with Christ. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So what I want to do is just begin by uh, looking at Philippians 2 verse 3. Verse 3 starts out with two relationship don'ts. Don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Now, so far, the Christian Bible has been translated into over 3,000 languages. And there's also over 50 versions of just the English translation alone. And even though each of those versions of the English translation varies in its style and sentence structure and even the words that they use, what they have in common is they all communicate the same message. So depending on your personality type and profile, you'll find that you'll prefer one version over another. So let's just take, for example, it was our friend Paul Bustle here. Where's Paul? Yeah, Paul. So Paul, he's, he's quite a cultured fellow, dabbles in a bit of poetry he likes art, you know, drinks a wine or two, but not too much because he doesn't get drunk on wine. He get, only gets drunk on the Holy Spirit. So Paul, based on just who he is, you'll find that he'll probably gravitate towards the New King James Version because, you know, it's poetic, edgy, rolls off the tongue. And I know that for a fact. He, he talked about it the other day. And then, you know, maybe you're a bit like our friend Mark Farina. Mark, there he is, up the back. He has no idea what's happening. Yeah, you know, Mark is known and loved for telling quite long, detailed stories. And so, you know, maybe a bit like Mark, you know, you might read the Amplified Bible, you know, because this version of the Bible is like someone who's telling a story with a lot of intensity and then just throwing in lots of facts as they go along. So it's like, you know, like the Amplified Bible is just like a person that's clarifying things all the time. It's like the love of Christ. No, it's the beauty of Christ, the wonder of Christ. It just does that all the time. Or maybe you might be a bit like me, you know, I'm a bit of a nonconformist. You know, I like the New International Version, but I don't want to be like everyone else. But then I don't want to be so different that I'm reading the Message Bible. So I, I take the middle ground. I take the safe option. I go for the NLT, the New Living Translation, you know. But at the end of the day, all endorsed versions of the Bible are good, except for the New World Translation, because that belongs to the Jehovah Witnesses, and that's the wrong religion. So don't read that one. So... Where am I going with this today? What's, what's my point? Just about every version of the Bible that you read Philippians 2 verse 3 in, you'll notice the same pattern. See, these two relationship don'ts, don't be selfish, 
don't try to impress others, in just about every version, they are linked together and they, and they, form, they form part of the same sentence. They're joined together in the same sentence. So in the New Living Translation, our little friend, the semicolon, links them together. But then in other versions, like the New International Version and so on, they're joined together by the word or. So have a think about that. Why do you think that they form together, uh, they, sorry, that why are they in the same sentence together in almost every version of the Bible? Have a think about it and we'll circle back to it later on. So first of all, I just want to look at that first relationship, don't, don't be selfish. What does selfishness mean? It's a self-centered concern for oneself without due regard for the needs of others. Self-centered concern for oneself without due regard for the needs of others. It's the person that contacts you on Gumtree and tells you that they'll be there at 2 o'clock and they're a no-show. It's cutting people off in the car, pretending to listen when your mind's elsewhere, like the Hero Toll video. It's cheating on your tax to get ahead and compromising your morals to get what you want. And also selfishness has a competitive edge to it. So it's not just leveraging to get something that you want, but it's leveraging to get something that you want over and above another person. And it's thinking about what you have in comparison to others. There's, a, I guess, an edge of jealousy there as well. And what you can do to stay ahead, catch up, or even one-up other people. What about that second relationship, don't? Don't try to impress others. What does that mean? Well, what this phrase describes is pride. It's a condition of pride. But in the Greek, it literally means empty glory. And so what we get from this is a picture of a person who is pursuing personal glory for themselves. They're chasing fame, acclaim, success, popularity, notoriety. They want to interest, uh, interest, impress other people. And so they often find themselves thinking about how other people see them now and then how other people will see them in the future when they achieve a particular milestone or goal. And so here we have a box. And this box represents the personal glory that this person is striving to achieve and get for themselves. And they spend their time thinking about how great it will be when they get that. However, if and when they get it, if and when they get this thing, all they will find is emptiness because this is really empty glory. And that's the whole point that this is communicating. Don't try to, don't try to impress others. There's like this need for pride to curate your own self-image, to, to like you, you're thinking about how other people will see you. The grass is greener on the other side. So you empty yourself out to get this. Then you get it and all you find is emptiness and all you feel is emptiness. And it's like one theologian said, the disappointment clouds the triumph. Have you ever felt that in your own life when, like I remember I had this desire to, be an MC, like master of ceremonies. And I was just going to go like all over the world being this amazing MC, right? Like it was going to be amazing. And then I MC'd a couple of gigs and it was so disappointing. It was quite stressful. There's a lot of pressure in it. And it wasn't as enjoyable as I imagined it would be. And we've all had those sort of situations in our own life, haven't we? It's like, man, I'm going to be this. It's going to be amazing. But then eh, it's not as good. So back to the original question with verse 3. Why do we have these two relationship don'ts that together they form part of the same sentence? It's because they're not mutually exclusive or independent of one another. They're linked together. They have a relationship one another. 
the pursuit of personal empty glory results in selfishness. They go hand in hand just like smoke and fire. You know, the person that seeks personal glory for themselves will walk over other people to get what they want. It's like the boss that will, you know, they're trying to get that promotion and they don't really care about how their employees or their staff members are going underneath them. Because they're so competitive and driven, they'll continually work back late even when their partner asks them not to. Because they're divided. They've, they want to make their partner happy, but they want this more. And so they'll find it hard to rest from work and relax and wind down. And when they, and when they only find emptiness in the end, instead of the meaning that they were hoping to find, then fueled by the disappointment, they'll double down and work even harder to get it. And so this spiral of selfishness and pride deepens. You know, we just recently finished building a new house and uh, it's, it's all worked out in the end, except for on the front far right-hand side of our house, we have one issue, and that is that there is a downpipe that I haven't gotten around connecting a soak well up to. And if you don't know what a soak well is, it's just basically a way of taking the stormwater, running it through the downpipe, into some plastic pipe, and into a pit underneath the ground. And Janelle has said, Joel, you better do that, because if you don't, it's going to destroy our driveway. And I was like, nah, it's just a little bit of water. It'll be all right. And my mother-in-law said the same thing, and I've even thought the same thing, but I just haven't gotten around to do anything about it. And sure enough... Over time, even though it looked okay on the surface, underneath this water was just eroding the foundations of the driveway. And now we have a driveway that on one side is just collapsing. And that's what selfishness and pride is like. They erode the foundations of relationships. On the surface, it might look okay for a while, but underneath, something else is happening. And selfishness and pride, they, they don't add any value to relationships. They don't do anything to bring people together they just keep people apart, and at the severest level, they can actually totally erode and destroy a relationship. And so it's for this reason that selfishness and pride aren't features of the new life that Jesus calls us to live. Instead, our lives are to be characterized by humility, kindness, generosity, and thoughtfulness of others. You know, so in short, verses 3 and 4 in Philippians chapter 2, they're about what we shouldn't, what we should and shouldn't do in order to love others. However, verse 1, if we can flick back a slide, is about the blessings that come from a relationship with Jesus. First, Paul focuses on the blessings of a relationship with Jesus. Then he talks about what we should be doing for Jesus. And so it should be for us. Before we can properly love others in a Christ-like way, we need to properly understand the blessings and the privileges of a relationship with Christ. So in verse 1, Paul asks four rhetorical questions related to Jesus. And even though he puts them as rhetorical questions, there's no doubt in his mind about the truth of what he's asking. The first two questions he asks are, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love? Do you feel encouraged in your relationship with Jesus? Are you reassured and comforted by his love for you? 
Romans 5, 5 says, For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. It's just like this. It just speaks to this inner experience of the Holy Spirit pouring out the love of Christ into our hearts. Just like that. How on earth are you able to love other people if, you don't, if you're running on empty and you don't actually have the love of Christ within you? You, know, you come to church each week and you stand here and worship, you read your Bible, you pray. Do you actually feel the love of Christ within you? Do you have an understanding of how much he actually loves you? Or are you running on empty? Charles Spurgeon said this of the Holy Spirit. He said, The Holy Spirit is the comforter. Christ is the comfort. The Holy Spirit consoles, but Christ is the consolation. The Holy Spirit is the physician, but Christ is the medicine. He heals the wound, but it is by applying the holy ointment of Christ's name and grace. He takes not of his own things, but of the things of Christ. We are not consoled today by new revelations, but by the old revelations explained, enforced, and lit up with new splendor by the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost, the Comforter. You know, the Holy Spirit is preaching Christ's word to us. He is encouraging us. He is comforting us. He's pouring out Christ's love into our hearts. And that's the way it's meant to be so that loving other people isn't a constant struggle and a constant battle. And if you feel like that's what it's like for you, then I suggest maybe you're running on empty. Maybe you're not actually experiencing the Holy Spirit pouring out the love of Christ into his life. And maybe you felt, sorry, into your life. And maybe you felt discouraged and sort of down in the dumps about that. But, you know, to, to know what the solution is, you've got to know what the problem is. And I just want to say that today Christ is the solution. He is the medicine that we need. And that's where I kind of see us heading at the end of today. It's like, how do you love people? Not by might nor by power but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. You know, the next two questions Paul asks are, is there any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? And here he is pointing to the effects of understanding and experiencing Christ's love because it promotes unity and closeness with others. It makes your heart soft and it makes you compassionate. And compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another person who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. When you walk past a homeless person in Perth, what do you think? Do you think, man, that's so sad, I want to help this person. Do you give where you can? Or do you just think, ah, just get a job? Because the person who actually is understanding and experiencing Christ's love, it, it moves from the inside it moves outward. There is a feeling that you get of, man, I want to help this person. You find yourself not just thinking all about yourself, but thinking about others and having a desire to want to help them and, and wanting to help them. You know, when your boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband makes a mistake, how do you respond? Are you quick to forgive? Do you get angry, quick to blame? Do you hold a grudge? Do you give the silent treatment? I'd love to say I don't do that. 
You know, but the truth is, uh, you know, I, I can be quite hard on my wife, Janelle, and that's, that's just still an area where I need to myself get more of an understanding of Christ's love for me. I'm not, I'm not perfect. None of us here are perfect. But it's by his presence and his power that we're enabled and empowered to live the Christian life. And I find for myself that when I draw near to God through meditating on Scripture and in prayer, I just find like I don't have to think about how to do this too much. I just find that I'm a better husband, better son, better work colleague, better brother, friend, and so on. You know, and, and today, like, look, we're t- I'm talking about staying in love, but really it's, this message is much bigger than that because if you actually understand and experience Christ love you, you, you can't just be contained to one area. It spills into every area and every aspect of your life. It won't just help you to stay in love. It'll help you to just it'll just help you to love everybody. And what all of us need to know is this it's that Jesus is the medicine that we all need. Selfishness and pride are poison. They poison our hearts, our souls, our minds, our relationships, but Christ is the medicine, the antidote, and the remedy we all need. You know, and, and today if you don't know Jesus and you don't have a personal relationship with him then there's something missing from your life. You know, Ephesians 3, 18 to 19 says this. It says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. According to the Bible, until you know Jesus, there is something missing. You're incomplete. You're unfulfilled. 